Hey, good morning, Cross Connection Church, and welcome to our online broadcast. As we are going to be coming to Esther chapter 6 this morning, I thought it would be good to begin with a little bit of a recap. The book of Esther is an important story about the working of God behind the scenes. There have been some that have viewed this book with some skepticism. They questioned whether it should be included in the canon of scripture as God is not explicitly named in the 10 chapters of this book. But though it is true that God's presence in Esther is maybe a little obscure, not entirely overt, it is not true that God is not there. We're going to see that as we continue into chapter six today. We've already seen that as we've been going through the previous five chapters as well. The great apologist Francis Schaeffer used to say, God is there and he is not silent. And that is true in this world that we live in. And it is certainly true in the book of Esther. God in the book of Esther is working behind the scenes. And that truth is a great thing for me to remember when I look at the world around me in my day. I don't know about you, but I can become pretty easily discouraged when I see the insane and the inane happenings in our world today, whether it is the chaos of politics or it's just the confusion of our culture. If I pay too close attention to the things going on in our world today, I will be horribly affected by it. If I fail to remember that God is still working behind the scenes. That is so important for me to keep that in my mind as I look at all the things that are happening in the news media or in social media. I need to remember constantly that God is working behind the scenes. If you remember back five weeks ago and five chapters ago in Esther chapter one, the book of Esther began with the story of the fall of Queen Vashti. And I think you can be certain that that fall of Queen Vashti and all the things that went around with it in the midst of this insane party that King Ahasuerus was throwing there in the kingdom of Persia for several months. In the midst of all that, the fall of Queen Vashti brought significant political chaos in Persia and it brought great cultural confusion. But amidst the chaos and confusion, as you begin to look a little bit underneath the surface of the things that were going on, you begin to see very, very clearly that God is working. God is doing something in the process of all of those things that are happening. Now, you can question whether or not it was God who was explicitly making these things happen. Is he the one that kind of is turning all the dials and making everything happen so that she falls from her position? Or is it that God is using the events of the world that are going on for his purpose? Now, it doesn't really matter where you line up on that, but all you really need to really line up behind is that God is working. And, and I think it's just really important at this point, as we get into our study today, just to remind you that from the very beginning, all the way back in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God has been working to bring order and good from chaos and confusion. Let me just say that again. God, from the very beginning, has been working to bring order and good from chaos and confusion. God speaks light, let there be light, and truth, and goodness, and beauty, and order into a formless, 
void and dark and chaotic, broken world. That's what God does. Never forget that. It's so important. When you look at all the things that are going on, maybe in your own personal life or in the world around you, God is working behind the scenes. Now, after the fall of Queen Vashti, we saw in Esther chapter 2, the rise of Queen Esther. And again, the events of chapter 2 was another significant round of political chaos. There were a number of years between those two events from chapter one to chapter two when we read at the opening of Esther chapter two after these things. It was after four years after Vashti had fallen from her position that now we have the rise of Queen Esther. And so in the midst of all of the political chaos and cultural confusion of chapter one, things kind of die down for a period of time. And then you have some more political chaos and cultural confusion. And in the midst of all of that, I wonder if the key characters of this story, people like Esther and Mordecai, if they didn't feel a little bit out of control in the midst of all of those things. I don't think that Mordecai, the older cousin and effectively the guardian of Esther, I don't think that Mordecai felt like he was really all that in control in the happenings that were taking place in chapter two. And I certainly don't think that Esther felt like she had much say in the whole situation when she was taken to the king's palace, as it says in Esther chapter two at verse eight, she was taken to the king's palace. Do you really think that in the midst of all that, she felt like she really had a handle on the things that were going on? I, I don't think that she did. And I don't even have to ask you the question to know the answer. Have you ever felt like the situation and circumstances you find yourself in were out of control and that you didn't really have much of a say-so in the things that were going on. Of course, we, we have all been in that situation. We have probably felt that way quite often over the last 15 months. And I don't know about you, but I don't like to feel out of control. I don't like chaos and confusion. But again, I wanna remind you, God is still working. and. He is the one that, as the scriptures say in the New Testament book of Romans chapter eight, he's the one that works all things together for good. And he's doing that to bring order and good from chaos and confusion. And I think some of you probably really need to be reminded of that right now. Whatever you're going through personally, whatever you see happening in the world around you locally, at a state level, at a federal level, at the border, around the world, in Israel, wherever it may be, we can look at these things and we can be a little bit flustered. We can be a little spun up, if you will. And it's just so important to step back from all the things that are going on from time to time, to have a moment of silence, um, maybe sit down in a sol you know, solitude for a little while, quietly have a cup of coffee, turn off, uh, Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter and put the do not disturb on your phone and stop reading the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or whatever flavor of news that you like. Just step back from all of it for a moment. Maybe just read through the Psalms or read through the Proverbs and remember that God is working. He is doing work and we may not always see him perfectly clearly. He may not be explicitly overtly seen, just like in the pages of the book of Esther. But if you are a follower of God, if you're a believer of the things of scripture, then you have to believe that God is doing something. And we don't always see, and sometimes we can't fully see all the ways that God is working. In fact, sometimes 
we are convinced that God is not there, but he is working. I have a really good friend and mentor. His name is Mickey Stonier. And several years ago, he wrote a book called God is, and as you look on the cover, it, it could say God is nowhere. And it is a book about God being in the midst of pain and in ministering his grace in the midst of very difficult situations. Mickey's a pastor and he's a chaplain and he's worked with a lot of people in crisis. And, and in those situations, sometimes people can be tempted to think that God is nowhere. Where is God in the midst of that? In fact, I've had those questions when I minister to people, whether it's with the fire department as a fire chaplain or just ministering to people in our community or a church family, they, they go through a difficult situation and they wonder where is God. So the title on Mickey's book, it looks like it says God is nowhere. But as you read through the book, you realize that the title actually is God is now here. And it really depends on where you put the space in that word. God is nowhere or God is now here. And that's one of the things that we discover as we study through the book of Esther. There were probably people at the time of Esther who looked at the situation going on especially as you go through the story of what happens in this book that thought that God has, he's not here. He's not taking care of us. He's left us alone. I remember years ago after the terrorist attacks of 9-11, 2001, hard to believe that in just a few months, we'll be remembering the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks there in New York and in Washington, DC, 9-11, 2001. Right after that, myself, and a few other guys, leaders from our church here, we went to New York City and we worked with the Red Cross and we worked with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association with some other organizations there, just ministering to people in New York City after the, the terrorist attacks. And I remember one day we were near Times Square and we were just on the street handing out little papers that said, if you need prayer, you can call this prayer hotline that the Billy Graham Association had put together. And one of my friends who goes to this church, he handed one to a lady. She was beautiful, looked like she was spending her day just kind of shopping there in New York. And she walked just a few feet away from him. And then she turned back and she came back to him with tears in her eyes. And they started a conversation. And I came into that conversation as well. And it turns out that she was a Jewish woman. And she read that, you need prayer, you can call this line, hotline. And it stirred up emotion in her because in her mind, when she thought back over the history of her own life, but the history of her people, she had come to the conclusion that God has rejected us. He's, he's turned away from us. He wants nothing to do with us. And I'm sure there were people at the time of Esther who probably thought that when they saw the, the chaos and the confusion of their time. But as you read through Esther chapter one and two and chapter three and four, five and six, we're gonna be in chapter six today. As you go through these things, you begin to see that God is working. The, the chaos and confusion of circumstances like those that are pictured in Esther can sometimes appear to us to be totally erratic and random. But I hope you're beginning to see as we continue through this story that there, there is something going on behind the scenes. And sometimes even though it may not seem like there is, there's some structure in the chaos as God is putting things together for his purposes. The political chaos and the cultural confusion of the fall of Vashti in chapter one and the rise of Esther in chapter two brought us next to chapter three, where we have more political chaos and confusion after a pretty long period of time. There's four years between chapter one and chapter two. There's another five years between chapter two and chapter three. But in chapter three, you have the promotion of a man named Haman the Agagite. 
and we talked several weeks ago, I talked several weeks ago about what that term agagite really meant and means when you come to it in the scripture, because there's a lot of history behind that. And with the promotion of Haman, we saw not just the promotion and the rise of Haman, but the rise of Haman's wrath as Mordecai, Esther's older cousin who had taken care of her for, morning, for many years, Mordecai, the Jew, refused to honor and bow before Haman, even though the king's command, the law, said that everybody needed to bow before him there at the king's court. Mordecai wouldn't do it. And as a result, Haman was filled with wrath. Wrath so great that he devised a, a devilish plan to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all of the Jews, not just Mordecai, but all of Mordecai's people. And the, the passage says in chapter 3 that his, his aim was to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, in one day throughout all of the kingdom of Persia. So Mordecai, his younger cousin, the queen of Persia, Esther, and all of the Jewish people are, are being faced with their total annihilation. And with this devilish plan, we realize that behind the scenes, there's more going on than just God working. There is, the Bible clues us into this, there is a battle going on behind the scenes in the unseen spiritual realm. There's a battle between what the Bible calls principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. This physical realm that we live in, that we can sense with our senses, we can see it, we can smell it, we can taste it, we can touch it, we can hear it, so forth. Our senses can see these tangible things in this physical realm, but there are other dimensions, spiritual dimensions. And in those places, there are what the Bible calls principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness, that, that there is a cosmic battle going on between these things. And just as God is working behind the scenes to bring about truth and goodness and order and beauty, the enemy of God is working to continually cause chaos and confusion. Look around the world. We see the manifestation of these spiritual realities constantly. Um, wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilences and all these things I think are a manifestation of the, the things that are going on oftentimes behind the scenes. And since you, if you are a Christian, since you know these things, that there are these unseen realms, then you need to be prepared to stand and withstand these things. Um, we'll get to more on that later. That's a, an important study on what we call spiritual warfare, especially in books like the book of Ephesians chapter 6. But the chaos and confusion of Esther chapter 3, it left the city, uh, the capital city of the Persian you know, kingdom at that point in time, the city of Shushan, it left that whole place and probably all of the kingdom totally perplexed as they looked at all the things that were going on. It was a confusing thing. And that's where we find ourselves so often. You look out at the insanity of the world and it can be perplexing. It can be confusing when you see all the things that are going on. And it's in those times when we need to be reminded that God is there and that he is not silent and that he is not distant. He is not uninterested or unengaged. He is working. And we are given a beautiful reminder of the working of God, sometimes in ways that seem not entirely explicitly connected to him, 
It's kind of the intangibles there. We see that in chapter four. By God's providence and his grace, um, that's how I see it. God is providentially and graciously working. We, we see God moving. Vashti fell some 10 years before Haman's evil plot. And then Esther rose up to her position as queen about five years before Haman's wrath against her uncle Mordecai or her cousin Mordecai. And by God's grace, though he is not mentioned, we don't see the name of God coming up in this passage. Esther, a, a Jew, the cousin of Mordecai, was in the right place at the right time. And Mordecai had the eyes of faith to see what was going on. And we see that faith when he says this to Esther in Esther chapter four. If you look back at verses 13 and 14, Esther said, or I'm sorry, Mordecai sent a message to Esther and he says to her, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than in all the other Jews. This, this plan of this wicked guy, Haman, is going to affect you as well, Esther. It's not only going to affect the Jews that are outside of the palace. Don't think that you are going to be safe in that safe place there in the palace. Verse 14 of chapter 4. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from some other place. So Mordecai, he had faith. He sees with the eyes of faith that God is working and can work. And so he's trusting. God's going to bring about a deliverance for his people. He, he has done that before. He delivered them from the Egyptians. He delivered them from the Amalekites. He delivered them from the Philistines. He delivered them from all of their enemies. Every single time God has do, done that. And he's going to deliver his people from Haman and this wicked plot. So Mordecai says to his cousin, listen, you're not going to be safe. This is going to overcome you as well. And if you don't do anything, you have this privileged, privileged position that you've been given. But if you don't do anything, deliverance is going to come from somewhere else. But look at what he says here at the end of verse 14 in Esther chapter 4. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. These are the words of someone who sees with the eyes of faith. He says, Esther, you are in the right place at the right time. You've got to recognize that it might be that you are in that place for this very moment, for such a time as this. And those are words that have been an encouragement to many people in challenging and difficult circumstances, circumstances for centuries. And maybe there'll be an encouragement to you as well in your workplace or the school campus that you are on, wherever you might find yourself at this moment where you feel like, all the things are against you and it's an uphill battle and circumstances, situations are confusing and it's chaotic. It may be that you might be there for such a time as this. Would to God that we would have the eyes of faith to be able to see that God is working and he has a way of placing us at just the right place at just the right time. And Esther's response to Mordecai's words is, is the response of someone who responds to faith with faith. Esther chapter 4, verse 15, we read this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, saying, go and gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I, we will fast as well. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. I'm not supposed to go into the king unless he asks for me to come. I will go to the king, which is against the law, 
and if I perish, I perish. From faith to faith, the just shall live by faith. That's what we hold as foundational to our Christian experience, our following God. From faith to faith, the just shall live by faith. And that's exactly what we are seeing in Esther and Mordecai in this passage. They had the eyes of faith to see that it may be that God has us here in this position for, for just the right time in all of this. So by faith and in faith, Esther went before the king and he accepted her in his presence. So she invited the king and Haman to a banquet. So much chaos and confusion and you're going to throw a party. That's really how you're going to answer this. Esther, there's, there's got to be a different way. After three days of fasting continuously, that's your plan to have a banquet? Isn't that just the way, though, that God so often works? At, at least it seems like that to me. God always seems to be going right when I would go left, or he is going left when I would go right. Through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 55, we read this in Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The countdown is on until this destruction of Esther and Mordecai and all of their people. There's a date that has been set at the end of this year as they're going through all of these things. The countdown is on. And in the midst of all this chaos and confusion, Esther invites the king and the one who is conspiring against Mordecai and her and all the Jewish people. She invites Haman, the Magnificent, over for dinner. And just when Esther is given what seems to be her opportunity, seemingly, the perfect opportunity to make her petition to the king as they, she has the king and Haman over to her place for this meal. She goes left instead of going right. And she invites Haman and the king over for another dinner. Maybe she could tell in the midst of having conversation with Haman and the king that like, now's not the right time. You know, she had enough discernment and wisdom to say, maybe we need another, another night, another dinner. And so she says, you know, king, I'd like for you and Haman to come back over for another gathering tomorrow night. And that's where we left off last time. Kind of a, a long recap, but I think a necessary recap to bring us up to where we are going to be here in Esther chapter 6 today. The perplexing chaos and confusion in Persia continues. And the countdown is still going. That day of the destruction, the annihilation of the Jewish people is still on the horizon. And the plot thickens. As Haman goes home and Ahasuerus goes back to the palace to go to bed after this banquet with the queen that night. And as Haman is leaving the palace, he's as high as a kite after spending the evening with the king and the queen no one else there, just him with the king and the queen. He thinks he's pretty magnificent. He thinks he's pretty special. For him, everything is awesome. Until the scriptures tell us in Esther that Haman comes out of the king's court, out of the palace, at the gates, and there is Mordecai at the king's gate. And old Morty wouldn't stand and bow and honor Haman. So Haman is filled with indignation. 
he is about to burst with anger. And so there Haman was. He goes home to his wife and his friends are there. And they're probably all waiting to hear like, hey, how did it go with the king and the queen? What was going on? Why did you get invited to be with the queen tonight? And he sits down to tell them the story of his grand evening. I spent a wonderful night with the king and the queen, just me and the king and the queen. And she invited me back for another night. I think she, she really likes me. And, and then as he's going through this story, he says, yet none of this matters. So long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate and he refuses to bow to me. He, this, is, this is like the biggest stumbling block for Mordecai. He just can't stand this. So at the prompting of his wife and his friends, Haman hatched this plan to make Morty, Mordecai, make him pay on the very next day. That they say to him, you know what, Haman, you got the authority to kill this guy. So go and build a gallows. And when we think of a gallows, we, we think of a hanging platform. But the gallows for these people was a little bit different. It was another way of execution. But they said, go build a gallows, super high, 50 cubits or 75 feet tall. And you can kill this, this guy, Mordecai. Just get rid of him. Before you even go to the queen's palace to have dinner tomorrow night, you got to deal with this problem. This problem is something you can deal with. You can take care of it. And, and that's what brings us here to chapter six, beginning verse one. It says there, that night the king could not sleep. Now, you don't think that that's a coincidence, do you? Have you ever had a sleepless night? I've had far too many. And I'm not necessarily going to say that every sleepless night is the result of the unseen providential hand of God. But I am going to suggest that this one, when Ahasuerus left the presence of Haman and Esther after this meal, and he goes back to go to bed at the palace, I'm going to suggest that his sleeplessness was not a coincidence, that there's something going on behind the scenes. Or maybe Esther just gave him way too much Persian coffee and he just couldn't sleep. Whatever the case, while Haman is hatching this devilish plan to destroy Mordecai, Ahasuerus is at the palace and he's restless. So what do you do when you can't sleep? Something mind numbing, something boring. So we read in Esther chapter six, continuing on there in verse one, that night the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles and they were read before the king. So every single day as the king would be going about his business and making decisions and having conversations and all the different things that were going on in the kingdom, all this stuff was being kept down in the records, the chronicles of the king. So here he is sleepless after this banquet with Esther and Haman. And he says, you know, read to me the chronicles, what's been going on. So they're reading through page by page about all the things that have been going on. Verse two, and it was found written that Mordecai had told, had told Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. How could I have missed this in the political chaos and confusion of all the things that we've seen previously in Esther? If you remember back in the story, if you've been reading through the story with us there, right after Mordecai or after Esther was made queen and all this stuff was going on, there was a plot to assassinate the king. Back at the end of chapter two, 
And Mordecai had providentially, I believe, by, by God's moving of the pieces and doing a work, he had, under, he had uncovered the plot to assassinate the king. And he had made that known to the authorities. And they were able to deal with this. And now here, it just so happens on Ahasuerus' sleepless night, while Haman is across town, maybe building his gallows, a servant of the king just randomly opens the records of the king and begins to read. And he just so happened to read the story of Mordecai's good deed. This is one of those points where you have to say, God is now here. God is working at just the right time in just the right way. God often shows up in inexplicit ways, ways that are mysterious, ways that seem out of the ordinary, ways that you could kind of cover it over and say, well, maybe that was God, maybe it wasn't God. No, God is working at just the right time and in just the right way. That's certainly been my experience in, in life. And I'm sure that you've experienced these things as well. And as you begin to look at things through the eyes of faith, you begin to realize that God is moving. And you can probably look back over your life and you can see various times where God was moving in all the things that you've been going through. So we continue on in verse three. Then the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this good deed that he did? And the king's servant who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. Just a coincidence. They just so happened to read just the right passage and they remembered they just so happened to forget to honor Mordecai for his good deed. So verse four, so the king said, who is in the court? And now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest to the king that they hang Mordecai on a gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said to Haman, or said to the king, Haman is there. He's in the court, standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. Haman just so happened to enter the king's outer court at just the right time, probably just after he finished his newly constructed gallows to kill the very same guy that the king had just decided to honor. So Haman just dropped by the palace on the off chance that the king was still awake, must have been the coffee that kept both of them up. And, and he does this just to kind of suggest to the king that they hang Mordecai on this gallows that Haman had prepared for him. Coincidence? I don't think it's a coincidence. I think that there's something happening behind the scenes. Verse six, we go on. So Haman entered and the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king wants to honor? Haman thought to himself, who is it that the king would want to honor more than me? And Haman told the king, for the man the king wants to honor, have them bring a royal garment that the king himself has worn and a horse that the king himself has ridden which has a royal diadem on its head and put the garment and the horse under the charge of the one, uh, one of the king's most noble officials and have them clothe the man the king wants to honor, parade him on the horse through the city square and proclaim before him, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. Gosh, that sounds like just the right thing to do for the man that the king wants to honor. So we go on, verse 10, the king told Haman, Hurry and do just as you propose. Take a garment and a horse for Mordecai the Jew who is sitting at the king's gate and do not leave out anything that you have suggested. I love that. 
And I love that there is a question, where is God in the book of Esther? I love that people wonder, where's God in the book of Esther? At just the right time, in just the right way, God often shows up in mysterious and amazing ways. And God is always at work, many times in ways that we don't see or comprehend until after the fact, until everything is moved along. We, we can look back and we can see, oh, that was where the Lord was working. So verse 11, so Haman took the garment and the horse. He clothed Mordecai and paraded him through the city square, crying out before him, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. And then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman, overwhelmed, hurried off for home with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened. His adversaries and his wife Zeresh said to him, since Mordecai is Jewish and you have begun to fall before him, you won't overcome him because your downfall is certain. And while they were still speaking, while they were talking with Mordecai, the eunuchs of the king arrived and rushed Haman to the banquet that Esther had prepared for them for the second night. The plans and schemes of the enemies of God will always be frustrated. That's so very clearly seen. As it has been said, the devil always overplays his hand. Jesus in the New Testament book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16 at verse 18, he's talking with his disciples and he tells them the gates of Hades, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And sometimes we read those words and we assume that they mean that God's people will storm the walls and the gates of hell and the gates of hell will not be able to hold back the onslaught of the church. Perhaps that, that could be the correct, correct interpretation of that, but I think that a better interpretation is this. One commentator, Adam Clark, he says, the gates of hell, i.e. the machinations and powers of the invisible world, in ancient times, the gates of fortified cities were used to hold councils in and were usually places of great strength. Our Lord's expression in Matthew 16, 18 means that neither the plots, stratagems, nor strength of Satan and his angels should ever so far prevail as to destroy the sacred truths in the above confession. Sometimes the gates are taken for the troops which issue out from them. We may firmly believe that though hell should open her gates and vomit out her devil and all his angels to fight against Christ and his saints, saints ruin and discomfiture must be the consequence of their part as the arm of the omnipotent must prevail. The devil always overplays his hand and the strategies and the plans that take place in that kind of court there at the gates of hell, if you will, they will never be able to prevail against God and his church. And here was this devilish plan that had come against God's people and against Esther and Mordecai and Haman, the, the guy who's the front man for this devilish plan. He's been trying to work all this thing to make it come to pass, bring in great chaos and confusion and all kinds of perplexity among the people. And now his, his plan is starting to fall apart at just the right time, in just the right way, God will show up to win the day. He is always at work, even if we don't immediately acknowledge or recognize his working. So here is the truth for you and for me to hold on to today. The chaos and confusion of our broken world can sometimes overwhelm and shake us. But if you are a follower of Almighty God, never forget that God will not be dethroned. Haman's show up, 
They, they come and they go. And their rise may come about out of nowhere and quickly. And their fall oftentimes happens in much the same way. And so there's so much more as we continue into chapter 7 next time. But you have to come back for that next week. Father God, I pray that you'd help us to remember that even in the midst of confusion and chaos and all the crazy things that are going on around us in a broken world that you are on the throne and you have a plan and you will work and accomplish your plan. We have the privilege and the blessing as those who understand the scriptures to know what the wrap-up event is as we read Revelation chapter 21 and 22. There will come a day where you rule and reign for eternity, forever and ever. Isaiah prophesied of the increase of your government and peace, there will be no end and you will rule and reign forever and ever. So we, as your people, we say, Lord, come. We, we say, bring about your kingdom. But until you do, I pray that you would give us the eyes of faith to see, even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of confusion and challenging, difficult things that we go through individually or as a culture, as a community, as a society, that we would see and understand that you are working. You are doing a work behind the scenes and we would trust you. And Lord, that we would step in to be a part of the work that you are doing by faith, just as Mordecai did, just as Esther did, trusting and knowing that you will do a great work. God, help us to hold on to this truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>